So we're sitting at seven and zero right now, and we're at the midpoint of your senior season. Uh, question before we move on to uh, the week eight opponent: Is there a moment in the season where you see some of the underclassmen maybe start to really gravitate and attach to this um, confidence and this aura that you and your teammates in the senior class really were leading by, and uh, just everything that you guys did, it emanated. And was there that moment where like, you kind of see these young guys really like cream rising to the top type? Yeah. You could say about week four, after week four or five, you start seeing the guys really starting to understand like when they were helping us out to get better as the scout teams, they were really trying to push, help us out to be better, get us better prepared for our next opponent. Um, Lenny Spacek was a sophomore. He was he was an integral part of our defense. Um, Chris Porter was a, either sophomore or junior, and he was integral. And uh, as one of the defensive back replacements for our four guys, if if one of them needed a blow, and trying to think, there's a couple other Demond Moody and um, there was a few guys, but yeah, they started to see what it was going to take to go to that level. And they were re- ready to help us get to that level. They they started to buy in they, and not just to enjoy the ride, that they wanted to contribute. That's they right. may not be able to contribute on the field during the game, but during practice time, yeah, they helped us get better. They helped us look for those tendencies because they ran that scout offense or that scout defense to almost – to perfection where we, okay, if I know that this is going to happen on this play, I need to look for this key. And they had helped me make sure that when that game time came, I was going to look for that key. And when that key came up, it made my job easier. It made everybody's job easier because we knew our keys. We knew what we need to look for. So I would say, yeah, about four or five, they were, they were bought in. If they weren't just basking in the limelight of, being able to say, yeah, we're on an undefeated team. They wanted to help contribute to it. That's awesome. And I would say also when the freshmen started coming in, I mean, you had Tony Twyman. I mean, Cricket, he's another little brother, man. I mean, he helped contribute to that. And to see him get some burn when he finally got a chance to come in, everybody wanted to be a part of that, not just to say that they wore the wings and they had a jersey on. They wanted to actually contribute to it. And that's that attitude and bravado that I think we brought is and we were ready to bring it for everybody. Everybody wanted to bring something to the table. Hey, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the scout offense and scout defense thing, because that piece of a season is so important and it doesn't matter how, how talented your, your, your ones are on either side of the ball. If you don't have a scout team that can, be coached up each week and learn that opponent's scheme and the plays that they run and then be able to execute them on short notice and be able to give you a look, then, you know, what are you even practicing against? You might as well be going against air. So if you have a good scout team, uh, you find me a good season in Hawking football program history. And there was a good scout look. A, a, a scout look is essential because it, like you said, you might as well practice against just nobody if they're not going to give you a good look. I mean, they made 
my job looking for certain keys easier and what to do and what not to do. And then when um, blocking, trying to block me, what, what their tendencies are. And when I started learning more techniques and watching film and watching, um, and I started watching pro players and started to build my game towards the defensive line to make an advantage of me. And they, they still do these blocking schemes on other teams so I could use these techniques to help gain my advantage. They were very helpful, very helpful. So after that 39-0 shutout over university school, got to say it one more time. Um, <laughs> and you can say it over and over I know, again. Right? Never, I know, right? It never gets old, never. And so from that, though, we got to go to week eight, which is our uh, away contest in Hudson against WRA, a game that uh, I know. frustration is not even uh, – y- y- you can't even put into words how frustrating that uh, that effort and that outcome was, uh, one in which we came up short by way of six to seven. Okay. If you're going to tell it, tell the truth. We didn't come up short. We got cheated out that game. Okay. Correct. L- let's keep it 100. Um, you remember losses. That one... I'm trying to make sure I watch my words. That one you felt like it's like I said, it's different when a team is better than you or played a better game than you. But when you haven't literally taken and regardless if you got guys that are 20 some odd years old and got a couple of kids, we beat the brakes (laughs) off those guys up and down the field. But for some strange reason, I mean, OJ, and like I said, I, I chronicalized it in the book. And, and I and I keep it in perspective of this. Before that game, we, and this is what really works my nerves and angers me to the nth degree about that loss. Before we came into that game, we were number one in the state in the polls. We got mentioned plenty of times at USA Today. We were, we were prime time. We were prime time. We were beating the brakes off everybody. We did not kill ourselves. But it's, I mean, we started out rolling and OJ went for a long touchdown. Next thing you know, right on the play. Okay. Could happen. Get the ball back, move it back 10 yards. Next play. He runs for another touchdown. Flag on the play. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Okay, he runs for a few more yards, a few more yards, another long jump, flag on the play. And, then, and, and the crazy part about that one play, the number they put up, they, they said committed the penalty, we didn't have on the roster, Dan. We didn't have on the roster. So, like, so you're calling these penalties. And I remember vividly that they were calling penalties. At first, they used to call penalties on. They were calling penalties on me because offsides. It got so bad to the point I had to take a yard off the ball just, just to make sure that. And they were still calling penalties on us on offsides. And I'll say again, I wanted to blame the defensive backs for that one long touchdown. Right? That's not the reason why we lost. That's not the reason why we took that L. We took that L because 
WRA did whatever they could to take that game away from us. And I don't wish hateful stuff on anybody, but I still can remember that lady who was a WR fan, that old lady, and seeing her ringing that bell and she, and when we're getting on the bus and she's yelling, yay, WR, it still makes my blood boil because we had that game taken away from us. We had a lot, not only was that game taken away from us, some of the equity we had got taken away from us. I feel betrayed because, okay, we could have had a state poll title because of it. Because of that game, we ended up being third in state poll. We were primed because we weren't even close to being worried about. We were by first place by long distance from first to second in the state polls. We should have a state poll banner at Hawking for football. They took that away from us. I'll, I'll never rest on that. I'll never feel good about that. That's something that will eat to my dying days, that that we had that taken away. That was taken away from your dad. That should be a part of your dad's legacy. That should be on his on his epitaph, should be he should have a state pole championship. And it was taken away by garbage. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say what I want. Garbage. Straight up garbage straight up garbage and seven to six no you can't convince me that we can only score six points in a game we had too much firepower we had too much speed we had too much talent for wra even with them having those opg men who after the game had to go pick up their kids go cook dinner no they weren't better than us but I'll say this, and oh is right. I felt bad for our next opponent, which happened to be our little brothers from Gates Mills. Cause we broke we broke our foot off on them because we were ticked. We were ticked. That practice, that first practice against for getting ready for Gilmore, I felt bad for the sophomores and freshmen, because we kind of took out our frustrations on them because we were that mad. Be that man, but yeah, yeah, that WR game. I, you know, it's it speaks to how it, it's yeah. what you said, Mel. It was if you lose to an opponent that you know just talented and and had your number, you tip your cap, it still stings, but you can you can man up and do that. But when it feels like everything was working against you that had nothing to do with yeah. head, to, head to head ability. That's when it kind of, it, I mean, it, it when, when the plain dealer chronicles every single thing that was done fraudulently in their article, not only that Orlando Hatchett was supposed to be this guy who's another one who's supposed to rival OJ McDuffie as a great running back. I, man, I, 75 yards and 22 carries. Oh, yeah, he sounds like a real winner to me. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, I put it to him, too. We, Dave, Dave Hinkle put it to him, too. No, no. That was just, it was so unnerving. Like I said, to this day, I it leaves a pit in my stomach. It really does to think about that game and think about how they just literally, literally, 
took it away from us. I, I won't. I'm stuck on that one. You, you won't let. I won't relent on that. They took that from us. So we talked about going in that week nine game against Gilmore Academy, um, forty to fourteen victory for the Hawks, getting back on the uh, on the correct side of the uh, win loss column and running the record to eight and one. <laughs> like I said, you, worst thing WRA did was take that game away from us because then we had to take it out on. I put the way I put it in the book. I said, if the mayor Gates Mills was at this game, he probably would cringe because he was going to see one team just destroy another. He's going to really see it because we tried to destroy Gilmore. And the only reason why they scored 14 points because we let the second stringers in because they were not going to. Your dad will never, ever, ever run up to score on the team. I don't care who it is. I don't care how much he takes it personally. He will never run up the score. If I could have made it 80 to nothing at that point in time, I would have. Because that's how angry I was. And I know some of the other guys were that angry about how we were done at WR. I was ready to just beat the brakes off of So Regular season comes to a close with a Week 10 uh, matchup against Brooklyn, uh, one in which uh, we almost – actually duplicate the score from the previous year and we win 41 to 13 setting the uh, picture for another obvious postseason run coming up and we we looked at it as yeah this is a tune-up we're getting ready for it we're getting ready for the second season and another game that we took first half did what we had to do get ready give some some younger kids some some time to play but our focus, ready to kick it, kick down that door of the playoffs. We wanted to shoot, wanted to go to the shoe. Shoe or bust. That's what it, our mentality was, shoe or bust. So, yeah, that's what that uh, Brooklyn game was. And so with that idea of shoe or bust, we, uh, we start on that mission, on that journey, and week one against Petersburg Springfield, and uh, we get that first W in week 11 by way of 18 to 13. Let me say this about Scott Olin of Petersburg Springfield. <laughs> I have, I watched Fran Tarkenton play football. He, you know how a chicken with his head cut off and runs all around his place, all around the place. He tired me that game because I know as a defensive lineman, there was a few times I thought I just had a sack. And next thing I know, he's running the other way, running backwards, forwards, and he's throwing these, not ducks, but throwing these these long bombs. And we weren't ready for all of that, just running around because you're only supposed to hold for defensive backs. And O, Owen, Will, and Marcus, they did their job, but – we weren't expecting to run around a little bit more that gave the guys extra time. And that's what threw us off guard for that first half because he get, he get away and go this other way. I mean, I can literally say at the end of that game, when I went home, I, I fell asleep because I was tired from running around trying to catch that guy, man. He was crazy. He was good. He was good. He, yeah. He came in with quite a bit of uh right fanfare and uh, the stats to back up quite a, 
quite a season he had. So we were uh, definitely the staff. I remember hearing from coach Moses and my dad, you know, pause for concern about, you know, this is someone who could make the play stay alive a lot longer. Just with his legs. And and the thing is, it was a warm, warm night. I mean, it was at uh, Chanel's field where you had the turf that was fast. So that allowed his receivers to get a little bit of get off. But I mean, Seriously, if if he was a normal quarterback, there should have been like three sacks I should have had on him. And I'm grabbing air. I was surprised. Like I'm coming up and just like, where did he go? It was crazy. It was crazy. He he was good. Oh gosh, yeah. So another week eleven win for the Hawks, back to back season, and uh, we go to our next playoff week and we have a rematch against chagrin falls one that uh we're both very (laughs) both very familiar with because that was how we started the season and one in which uh they were they were feeling confident that their adjustments and their uh lessons learned from week one were going to pay off and that our trip to mentor high school uh, was going to be one where they sort of uh, get revenge on us. It's, it's amazing how much talk now you can see it go viral real quick and people will react to it. I remember Chagrin Falls talking major cash money, how they was going to stop. They figured out a way to stop O. And once you stop O, you stop hawking. <laughs> really? Okay. That's why Hinkle ran for – he ran crazy that game. Yeah, he, he had ran, a great first half, didn't he? he? He, Hey, those traps, all I can say – and I remember writing in the book about one of uh, Hinkle's touchdown plays and Terry Brennan, God love him, he thought that I was embellishing or trying to make – almost <laughs> like a remember the Titans type thing that where I was making this up. I was like, no, TB, I, I, I got the video right here. I'm looking at it like – Hinkle went for a touchdown. And then it was funny because I hear from um, Steve Arnoff. He's like, yeah, he made the touchdown because I remember I hurt my hand on that play. And I was like, yeah, I that game, like I said, it seemed like we were going in fast forward and they were going in reverse. Because we they weren't from the jump. We We got into them so quick. And they didn't know what to do. But like I said, you could talk about you could talk about you got a great running back and Scott Thomas and how he compares to OJ and all this other stuff. Okay, great, fine. Speak, speak it into existence. You still got to come see the guys with the wings on the helmet. And every time you do, we're gonna put it to you. And like I said, during the game, every time he tried to come through that hole, I try to let him recognize number seventy-five coming through that hole, and I and I put it to him. And OJ, he did what he had to do, and Hinkle did. I can't believe what Hinkle did. Hinkle had a day. He had that first half was ridiculous. I mean, he was just—he was a madman that game. He was—he was crazy. Mel, we talk about football being just this amazing team sport, and the idea of eleven players on the field, and you all have your own individual assignment for that jo- for that play to come together, and especially on the defensive standpoint, everyone has their own keys that they have to read. And the failure in what I think, I 
wasn't a part, obviously, or neither were you, a part of Chagrin's game plan. But if we think of it from their lens of we're going to shut down OJ no matter what, and that'll prove that Hawkins has nothing, you took assignments from other positions and geared everything to one player so that when that player didn't get the ball, there were openings and gaps in other places. And by way of Dave Hankel, <laughs> they did not have those gaps filled and it was flawed. Well, and not only that, it's a testament to your dad's football intellect as not just office corner, just as a coach as well. He adjusted so well and was prepared, so prepared. Like I said, had us prepared for every game. Hankel, traps, throw throw that lead to Owen Benjamin, Marcus out in the slot. I mean, we didn't have to get the ball to Owen. I mean, I mean, don't get it, don't get me wrong, don't get it twisted. Yeah, he he's the man. But if I got all these other parts and you're not going to do anything to them, why do I have to worry about wearing out my best player? when I could get it to these other people and still beat the brakes off of you. And like I say, your dad was so much of an innovator when, when he ran a run and shoot in Ohio football. Not too many teams in college or the pros were running, run and shoot. Think about that. And definitely not high school football. No, that was almost uncalled, uncalled of. I mean, you didn't see that that much. And for him to do that and be able to, make it a nightmare to cover our team, period. Not just OJ. Our whole offense was a nightmare to scheme against. It was a nightmare. I mean, <laughs> our our offense, I mean, and I'm talking about not just our senior, all three years, they were a nightmare. You, you, you could not, in my mind, you could not devise a plan to stop our offense. The only way we stopped our our offense did got stopped is we did it to ourselves. And like I said, due to going to get that perfect, excellent, and play to perfection, your dad wasn't going to allow that to happen at all. Wasn't going to allow that to happen. So you weren't going to stop our offense at all. Also mentioned that at that Menor uh, High School Stadium, that was a big crowd. Those crowds started growing more and more for the Hawks. Uh, we had good crowds throughout the year, but man, as the postseason started in '86 and even more so in '87, that was that was must see football, and people were coming to watch. And you know, minus the Hawkins student body and families and all that, which were great supporters of the program. Um, plenty from the area that would come and make sure to watch and see what it was all about. We were must-see. I, I say midway between our junior year, we started to become must-see. We, we were starting to be prime time. I mean, you saw the talent. You saw just, just how fun we played, just how enjoyable watching that game, watching us play our game. And People who came to see us, I mean, people came to see us, not just from the Cleveland area, they were coming from other areas of the state to watch, see what's going on in Gates Mills and how they, and like I said, standing, through, standing room only over at uh, Hawking Field, but I mean, it was, it was exhilarating. I, and like I said, because you got to enjoy it a little bit being a senior, because our games were 
not they were supposed to be close because these were supposed to be bigger and better schools than Hawking, and they were supposed to show us something. And we we beaten the brakes off, and we got to bask in the glory and the and the glow of being able to turn to the fans and enjoy the fans. I mean, I remember that that uh, Chagrin Falls game. I, I'm up here cheering, having the uh, fans from Hawkins starting to cheer with me to get them up, get them hyped up for some of the sophomores and freshmen starting to go get some time in the game because it was like 36 six and Chagrin Falls wasn't even coming close to scoring another thing. So it was. It was a, it was so fun, uh, and it was and the biggest thing is being able to say again, we got another shot at that title. Your dad's got another thing on his resume. He's got two regional championships in a row, two in a row. Yeah, when you win that regional championship, um, and then what we'll talk about after next week's uh, or the the following week's game you have a representative from the state meet you at midfield and give you that, present that trophy to the coach and the coach gets to present it to the captains and the seniors. And that's just, that's a special, uh, (laughs) special, special moment. (laughs) Well, I remember Marcus and I, we were were quoting stuff from uh, (laughs) Sanford and Son talking about, I want my daddy's trophy back. And it was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) And he looking at your dad, he's like, Hey, we got your dad's trophy. Leave me alone. Stop talking like that. He's like, oh, it was so funny, but it was so enjoyable to be able to do that, to get him back to a spot we thought he deserved to be as uh, as one of the better coaches out there. And another opportunity to, like I said, shoe or bust. We weren't happy, we were content, but we weren't satisfied. It was a shoe. We wanted to go to the shoe. That's it. So after winning our region, we head to the state final four and we go to the exact same location as the 86 contest, which is at Baldwin Wallace College and uh, Finney Stadium. And this time uh, we have an opponent from far, far western Ohio, almost by the Indiana border by the name of Archbold. Archbold, a team, uh, tough, tough team, good running attack, right. very talented up front. And, uh, by way of a 21 to 14 victory, the Hawks continue their playoff push and uh, a lot of really, really good memories from this game. Oh, it's, it's so surreal, so wonderful, so exhilarating. First of all, like I so you, you try to learn from your mistakes. I mean, just a subtle mistake or learn from make changes that you didn't have the previous year. Like, for example, I remember you talking about that we had to be a part of that shoe rental program at Baldwin Wallace to just wear turf shoes. In. But this year, that year, not only that was a, not a night game, it was a day game. It was a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. I remember, even though I dread it now because they, they're collected, they would have been a collective time, I had the first Air Jordans. I remember I wore those Air Jordans on that game so I could get better footing on that turf. Sure. And everybody else has some turf shoes, something that affect on basketball shoes so they get better footing. And you're right. You can't underestimate a, an opponent when they get to that level. But I will say, because it started out 14-0, I thought, oh, this is going to be an easy game. And then all of a sudden, 
Archibald made their move and tied the game at 14. He was like, okay, this is, we're in one of those ball games, and this is what we came to do. This is how, but I'll say again, the resolve of the hawk, the resolve of hawking. We weren't scared. We weren't worried. We just knew we had to execute. And that one drive was so surgical. And you saw the emergence of the maturity of Greg Kickle as a, as a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, he was he 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 was a sophomore when he was playing as quarterback, wasn't he? I think he was a sophomore. Um, if he's a sophomore, man, he showed Kickle so was much. a junior. Okay, he was a junior, but still, yeah. he, that was his first year quarterbacking the yeah. team. But he's still so so much resilience. He's so much poise. So much, just like. He started taking on that aura that we took on, that swagger, that I'm going to lead us to the promised land. And, and it was just everything methodical, just down the field, and everything was just on point, on point, on point. And it was amazing to me, but it was so poignant that OJ scored the last touchdown. But it was amazing to me because did, did Archibald forget that Oh, was a all-state wide receiver before he was a running back? Because Apparently. There was no reason why he should have been that open to catch that touchdown. No way. But when he caught that touchdown, the silence before he caught it, you could hear the wind blow. Soon as he caught that, now I remember, I, I remember hearing you guys talk about it on O's podcast, how it was definite. Do you realize that the capacity of Big Finney Stadium is only like five or 6,000 people? Not a lot of people, but that's the sound of the fans and everybody cheering, including the Hawking contingency. It sounded like 30,000, 40,000 people. Man, I could barely hear myself, but I know I saw him let out the biggest roar. I let out the biggest roar. I mean, our sideline went bananas, and it was like – after when that clock hit zero, I, I very few feelings, very few feelings can express how I felt at that time. I mean, a range of emotions, but just knowing we we did it, we did what we set out to do. We are going to the shoot. And you talking about giving everybody the biggest hug, we cheering, giving high fives and all that other stuff. And still brings a smile to my face, man. I mean, that, that, that highlight, you don't get to experience that that often, man. You don't. You don't get to experience the highest of highs to be able to say, I'm going to the apex of our sport. I'm going to the championship game. 3D, your dad's epitaph should read, he's one of the greatest, not just greatest men, but one of the greatest coaches in Ohio high school football history. But you know how people play things. Well, he didn't win a championship. If everything was done like 
I want to say 99.9% of the other schools of what we built right then and there. Multiple. I, 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 can't, I can't see that he would not have multiple rings on his finger. There would be no way that he would not be able to win at that school with what we built, what we started. I mean, you, you're talking to James Hartman and he thought of our, our school year, our seniors, he thought of us like, like the Cleveland Browns, that, that he that's something he wanted to be a part of. Think about how many guys who were in the Cleveland area who saw Hawking on television, the newspaper, radio, and that's all you saw who would have wanted to say, I want to go over there. And then, would, and then just like some of the parents who talk to, talk to your dad, all they got to do is listen to 10 minutes your dad, you go to Hawking. You go to Hawking. Because that's what my father said. He said, you're lucky I didn't talk to Coach Walton before uh, I decided to go to Hawking. You would have been going to Hawking years ago. He said that. And, and it's just frustrating. It's just, and to see that we're not doing the Bibles that we used to have. And I joke about it now with some of the, I, I joke with a couple of um, my, uh, ladies I work with at school. Uh, who are teachers that I work with, they're Gilmore moms. And they give me the blues because now, for some strange reason, we have Gilmore beating, beating us left and right and all this other stuff. But I, I bring up to them, and I, excuse me, but all I remember is beating the brakes off Gilmore. I remember taking it to Gilmore. And they like to joke me and talk about, yeah, that's when y'all weren't wearing helmets. Yeah, it was leather helmets. And I got whatever. But <laughs> it's like, but my recollection is I used to be Gilmore left and right. University school, George Mixon with Matt Smith, Eddie Roberts, who I worked with up at uh, Warrensville, they can't say a word. They got to stay quiet because I beat them. We beat them. I beat them in track. We beat them in baseball. We beat them in basketball. We beat them. But some of those traditions that we used to do and just the foundation, it's, I felt it was a very much of a disservice to your dad's legacy and the legacy of myself, OJ, Owen, Marcus, and Will. Because we talked about it a lot. That's what... Excuse me. That's what made me one of the main reasons why I had to write that book. Because you're not going to let your dad's legacy and our legacy just go by the wayside and nobody truly appreciate it. The epitome of disrespect when I remember the first time I brought my son to Ohio. He was finally feeling well where I could bring him. I got to meet your dad. He, I mean, your dad is a, a real one, man. He showed Marshall so much love, and, and I appreciate that. But it hurt my heart when we were trying to look for that state final trophy. And we couldn't find it at first. And we went through the new Atlanta facility and stuff like that, and We still couldn't find a trophy until I heard my son say, hey, dad, is that the trophy right there? And it's sitting behind a 1977 single A golf district championship trophy 
off of the cut and it's disfigured. The top was unscrewed. Uh, at that time, I thought that's how, what they thought about what we did. That's what we thought about our legacy. It's almost like they didn't care. It's almost like they didn't care. Of, and I know this is about football, and but what our legacy was, not just in football, but those three years that we were here should amount to a whole lot more than what they gave us. I, 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 when I say gave us, a whole lot more respect than what they were giving to us. I mean, every t every graduating class has done something special, something nice, and done something to help keep the tradition of Hawking Pride alive. But starting in 1985, you had a group of guys come there and it was organically. We didn't plan this. We didn't plan. I didn't talk to OJ and say, yeah, we need to go to Hawking and do this. I didn't, didn't even know Marcus and Will. I had met them on, like I said, on the visit. <sighs> Tell me in three years if a class, two out of three years, win a district title in basketball, come close to going to state final four in basketball. Two out of three years, well, one out of those three years, you won a district title in baseball and a uh, sectional title in baseball. In three years, you have multiple state finalists in track and field. You have a state champion in track and field. You have somebody who who plays high in track and field, who also has junior Olympian. And not only that, their senior year by two guys come within four points of being second in the state in two different divisions, double-A and, double and single-A. And then in football, two out of three years, you are regional champions, you're state finalists, and go to, go to a state championship. I don't know too many graduating classes in any school, any school can have that resume and they get treated a whole lot better than what our legacy is. It's a special resume. There's a lot on it there. It's, we got a lot on there. So I I don't want to sound like that bitter person, but it, it's just, it's not so much just bitterness for myself and my brothers. It's like, I remember your dad's retirement party. It, it just seems like he deserves so much more than what he got. I hear you, Mel. I hear you, man. So that Archbold victory to get back to the yeah. end of this 87 season, it's one of those moments. It's one of those games where it's a, uh, it's a goosebumps moment because you think about yeah. the previous year and falling short at the exact same location. You think about all the hard work, all the high expectations, and uh, all the sacrifices and the shoe, the shoe, the shoe. And now you go in and you get that 21-14 victory and you get it. So yeah. that following week now, we're getting ready for a week's worth of practice to get ready for that ultimate state championship contest against Columbus Academy. 
thoughts of that week, memories from getting prepared for it, trying to stay uh, focused on schoolwork at the same time as uh, going through the football prep for the week. And then uh, this game here that has, uh, that's kind of sticking out. <laughs> I know it was a madhouse, man. I mean, the media was a madhouse. Just, wow, microphones in your face. Walk, um, tape players in your in your face taking quotes here and there you see your name in the paper you see this in the paper uh wow uh it was surreal it was and like i said they let us out early i was shocked at that but hey it it, it is what it is but i i, I just know we still felt like we had a job to do we were ready we were prepared. We 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 thought that, like I said again, we weren't going to beat ourselves, and we thought as long as we had the evil level playing field, you weren't going to beat us. We we just knew that we were going to come in there in the Columbus and take what belong. We thought it belonged to us. We thought it belonged to us. Um, Little did we know that the elements was gonna play a, a big factor in us, and and like I said, we, we can't make excuses. But I would have loved to seen, even if the turf wasn't a roller rink, because everybody was slipping. Everybody was just. I mean, it, it was like on skates and then the epitome of knowing that we were on skates was that game. It was 14 nothing, And I remember I because I was just doing defense right then, but I was begging and pleading with your dad to let me in because I would, it was like 30, we were done three downs. We were trying to make it 14-7. And I begged and pleaded with your dad to let me in so I could make a hole so I could let O go through the hole to at least make it 14-7. I begged and begged and begged him, and he finally relented. And he let me in, and I I made a hole that I thought that that the dump truck could go through. And I turned around and I looked, and I see my brother. He's slipping on that turf, and it was just a telltale sign of the whole game. Things come. We just we could never get our footing together. We could never. This is the first time I I saw the end of frustration on your dad because he had the right game plan, but he just, it felt like that we were spinning our wheels because we couldn't get our footing. And like I said, you remember every loss. You remember every loss and that 21-0 loss is going to be on our appetite forever because every time you get a program, you see it. 1987, they had a Columbus Academy 21, Casey Mills, Hawkins, zero. So there's no way to be around it. And I remember seeing the guys at our 30-year uh, reunion. It sticks in their craw just as much as mine. And we would just, all of us just wish we had a little bit warmer. It just, just <laughs> something to make that turf that it wasn't just like ice. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
So we make the Columbus goal, but the outcome isn't the one we wanted. So in the, in the moment, it stings a lot. And all these years later, it's still, like you said, sticks in your side. But there's a moment down the road where you can you can look back at it and appreciate and understand everything that went into it and the path that you and your teammates paved and uh, planting that flag down at the state championship game, even though it didn't result in a victory is still something that uh, you and the rest of that team should be and are extremely proud of. Yeah. I cherish that moment. I really do. It was something like I said, I, I, I shared it with, five of my closest, not my best friend, they were my brothers, five of my brothers and then the, and the rest of the seniors, we were so tight. We were so together. Like I said, I mean, <laughs> like I said, I bring up that time against U.S. where we, where I did that rap and I had all my guys, senior guys, and they wear sunglasses and b-boy stances and they embraced that bravado that we had and it just... It's something special. It was all something special. And I will never forget those guys. I will never forget that time that we were together. Can't. It. For sure. For sure. So that 12 and 2 campaign in 1987, state runner up, uh, that closes that chapter. Uh, before we move from that, I just want to highlight a couple of points here. Um, Mel, by way of interior defensive line, had 87 total tackles, nine sacks, and a fumble recovery for the Hawks that year. Um, Those numbers are extremely impressive for an interior defensive player. And then as as a contributor on the offensive line piece, an offensive uh, unit that put up over 3,000 yards on the ground is uh, extremely, extremely impressive. Nine sacks, huh? Okay. I didn't know I had that many. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's uh let's take a little two minute drill here. Okay, let's do it. Any significance to your jersey number, Mel? Yeah, uh seventy five, Deacon Jones. I was yeah. Deacon. Uh, yes. Did you do the head slap or uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried it, but then when Coach Waller told me that it, that's illegal, I, I stopped right. doing it. So, do you have a favorite sports movie? Ooh, uh, you know what? Remember the Titans. Okay, remember the Titans. Yeah, I like that one. Biggest hit you put on someone? Do you remember? Yes, and I did it twice, and it's against those uh, chagrin fall kitties. I'm going to say it like that. Yeah, Scott Thomas. I, I, Like I said, I put it to him. Yeah, and a matter of fact, years down the road, somebody who played with them told told me about how he remembers that hit, that, that first hit, that game one, that, that hit I put against him. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, Scott Thomas. Nice. Who was uh, the best player that you played against during your high school career? Played against. Oh gosh, uh, it's had to be between Nick Schof and uh, Grand Valley, and then there was a guard of Chagrin Falls who played college ball. Doll. Yes, Doll. Yeah, those two guys. Yeah, they they were tough. 
They were tough. What upperclassmen had the biggest impact on you? I say it was a tie between. Well, you know what? I might as well, in their own way, Hackenberg, Airbrand, Artie Haynes, and Slash, all of them in their own way had an impact on me because each of them had a way to motivate and instruct and just show me the talking tradition in ways that if each of them in their own ways and they were positive influence on me. Those, those four guys. Awesome. All right. That's our two minutes. Um, what was your favorite tradition? (laughs) Um, all of them were great. I mean, (laughs) So you already talked about you already talked about claiming the field. You had your seven steps by five steps. Seven uh, by five. To make sure that you found the correct location and all the visitors yeah. uh end zones. How about uh, and you've talked a little bit about tanks. How about um fudge or zonks? Fudge fudge was cool. And here again, being a sophomore and not knowing the rules. I was one of the sophomore. I was sophomore trying to get the biggest piece of fudge, and I'm like, I'm big male. I want the biggest piece of fudge. I'm like, no, you got to wait your turn. You got to wait for the seniors and that. But fudge was great, man. I, I remember one time, and you talk about somebody getting getting the business thrown at them. If it what fudge wasn't right, oh gosh, whoever brought the fudge. And then one time, I'm trying to think. I don't remember who it was, but it was sophomore year. Somebody had their girlfriend do fudge, and the girl had the nerve to put walnuts in the fudge, and that did not go over well at all. I'm like, you talk about somebody getting roasted over that, it, it, and then somebody had runny fudge. It's like, yeah, yeah Mel, fudge you, was awesome. You would be shocked over the years how many um, deviations fudge has taken on just over the years of people trying you know doing like white chocolate peanut butter yeah uh, i'm like come on cookie dough or you know funfetti and it it was i'm a traditionalist yeah it may just get make sure it's solid doesn't have all that sugar and grain and it doesn't just simple fudge. I mean, I, I remember one time the fudge was so bad and it was so so liquid that you thought you were going to make a milkshake out of it. It's like, oh, come on, man. Uh-uh. Yeah. Nice block of fudge. Make sure it stays in the refrigerator for a while so it keeps it solid. Cut it, cut it right. Hey, sounds good. Yeah, don't get too fancy and try to do anything. Just get no, it done right. Uh-uh. Get it done right. Just simple. Keep it simple. But, yeah, I loved fudge. I did. So, and, but I will say one of the um, traditions that we did that's not mentioned all the time, and I did mention it before, fourth quarter. And it was another one of those things that, because I wasn't used to fourth quarter, so at first I dreaded it. But as I got older, I appreciated it because, like I said, you're in the fourth quarter, you're tired, the game is on, maybe on the line, and you got to suck it up. And there's times that fourth quarter, you, you're not thinking correctly, you're not doing your assignment correctly. Fourth quarter had you saying, hey, get through it, 
keep your mind about you, finish the game strong so we can get this W. So after a while, I I embraced the fourth quarter. Your dad, hey, and that there's times you were on defense or you did it on offense. Make sure you knew the snap count or watch the ball and just give it all out effort. Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter is the one I, I really cherish. Yeah, you got to be mentally uh, disciplined and sharp when uh, the body's telling you it's almost over or, hey, I want to take a break, right? Exactly. And when you are going down that sprint and you're just seeing it, you got got to make the finish line. Don't stop mm-hmm. before it. Go past it. Yeah. Hey, Mel, take us through the process of writing a book because you have done this several times and uh, – Two of your most recent have been about the experience of being an umpire at Cooperstown and the the love and the passion and the purity of baseball in the uh, youth format. And then the one that we had referenced a couple of times already in uh, in the pod here, and that is the Onyx Renaissance. Um, talk to us about that process of having an idea wanting to put it on paper and kind of quickly what that looks like to the listener. Um, I could say when you come up with a concept and an idea, you just, number one, you have to start building that, like I said, building the foundation. Okay. You have an idea. What are you going to, you got to make it about. You have to have the concept. You have to have, start doing chapters. How are the chapters going to go? Um, make sure that, it flows and then you start when you start writing you're always going to go back and add things or delete things you're always going to especially when you're talking about something that's based off real-time facts especially something like the renaissance you make sure you can back it up you make sure that it's okay you may forget a, a certain instance here but you want to make sure you're as accurate as possible like i said i joked about how uh, Terry Brennan thought I embellished about Dave Hinkle's touchdown during the Sharon Falls games. No, I, I made sure that everything on those aspects are accurate because to attract a reader, you want to not only make it enjoyable, you want the accuracy. You want to be able to say, if I look it up, that's really what happened. So I, I tried to make those books as accurate as possible, but um, I also put it in a way where I'm using my my creative mind to make the enjoyable, make them feel like they're part of the book. I, I, I used to go with a slogan, I'm not writing stories, I'm painting vivid pictures for you to experience one chapter at a time. That, that's what I try to do. And that's, that's how it comes about. And successfully, I might add, you know, doing the... Uh doing it so that the reader can feel like they are a part of that situation. I think, I think you do a nice job of that. And um, so the brainstorm piece, are you, do you write things down? Are you typing and just sort of free flow forming your ideas or how does that kind of, how does that process manifest? Um, There's times that you write stuff down and you will refer back to it. There are times you free flow, a uh, couple of books I did off of fan, uh, not that were fiction, 
yeah, those came from a, a serious concept that was real life. And I just took it off to a different tangent and it just became a concept. And I just started writing and just the words flow. There are times that everybody gets writer's block. But then once you get out of a writer's block, you find yourself, you can sit there in front of a computer or sit there writing for hours and hours and find yourself just immersed in it. And you're finding the story just sounding so, so enjoyable that you like, wow. And then finds out a few hours later, you've gotten a couple of chapters in. And he's like, okay. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel good. It does. I, I, I never really thought I would be a author. I mean, poet, and, and that's one of the things that was great about Hawking. When I found out that you could take a poetry class at Hawking, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, Do you remember who your teacher was for, for that class by any re- chance? I don't remember. Okay. Who, I almost wanted to say Mr. Bryce, but that, I may have been wrong. But It could, it could have been Mr. Bryce. Yeah. It could have been Mr. Bryce, but... Yeah, and it was like it was so enjoyable doing poetry and prose and and then incorporating that because I, I was a hip-hop junkie i mean at that time hip-hop and rap were in its still in its newer infantile stages and i i was hooked and i incorporated a lot of that into my style of poetry prose and rhyming and stuff like that so it made it easier to enjoy it. And even now I still listen to a lot of old school stuff, but it helps me be able to just get the concept of writing, just concept of uh, just making that perfect picture that everybody can just enjoy, just be able to just like you're there back in 1987, like you're there at Cooperstown where you can see me behind the plate calling balls and strikes or me giving that baseball to that kid will never ever probably never ever see the diamond after this year but he will remember that time where i gave him that baseball because he scored a run in a game and he felt like that and his teammates made him feel like that he had just won the game even though they got mercy rule so those type of things just make it easier for me to write stories and i love i love writing i love writing and how about that feeling when you finish it and it comes all together and you hold that first, that first finished copy of it? Ooh, yeah, it. The first time I felt like that, you, like I said, there's certain times you just you you can't explain it. I mean, it's not quite like winning a championship, but you just feel like you've accomplished something. You feel so accomplished. You feel so proud that you. You've, you've achieved a goal. You've achieved that where you can say, I have it in print. And it is even, even to this book, I mean, every book does it to me. When I get it in my hand, I see it and it's the final copy. And I, wow, actually made it through there. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, I'll say the Onyx Renaissance was the one that I felt most emotionally uh, drawn to because it was me and my four brothers and your dad but just to be able to still anytime you hold a book that you could say I got it accomplished it's great it's great 
when you can write about something that you lived and experienced and that you're passionate about it, uh, I think it probably makes it a little bit easier to, uh, to do. Oh yeah. It, it does make it easier to do. And like I said, it's, it makes it that much more special where you can share it to the world and the world can relate to it and the world can enjoy it. And the world, like I said, and you can, especially the Onyx Renaissance, the world can appreciate your dad in a way that probably people don't understand. They can appreciate what our brotherhood in a way that people may not be able to understand or have no grasp of and think, wow, I wish I could have something like that. Or they can really appreciate it. Like that's something that's so special that the world should know about. Well put. So outside of the, uh, the writing piece, Mel, what else are you up to these days? (laughs) I work with kindergartners. Tell tell us about that. It is never a dull moment. Oh my right? gosh. It's never a dull moment. I work in the Warrensville Heights City School District. I work with kindergartners as paraprofessional and it's it's enjoyable because I'm teaching the youth and I'm starting from the grassroots. Uh, that's why I feel about it. I'm starting from square one, which I don't have a problem with. Um, <laughs> I... And I, like you said, I'm also a baseball official. I'm a volleyball official. I'm a football official. I don't do high school that much because I really rather not do the high school football, but I do high school. I do baseball. Realistically, I do from nine to 90. I do high school baseball. I do little travel baseball and also do Roy Hobbs baseball. So that's the older gentleman, which is an adventure in itself to see these men <laughs> trying to relive their youth. It was, it's funny to me, but it's enjoyable. Uh, girls volleyball. Um, and like I said, doing the writing, still doing the writing. Matter of fact, I got one, I'm working on one right now. Um, matter of fact, it's still about, it's about the 87 football year, but it's in a different twist because I, I'm going to be talking about uh, that year in Cleveland because people don't understand how much of an impact three guys were high school guys were in that one year and the impact on Cleveland they had, because I'll put it in the perspective of people don't remember that in 87, there was a strike in the NFL for three weeks and they had replacement players. Chris Carter got kicked off Ohio state before the season started. Earl Bruce got fired at Ohio State. The Indians were picked to win the World Series, and they end up being a cellar dweller. And the Cavs were mediocre, but they were on their way because they had just picked up Brad Doherty and Mark Price and all this and a couple other pieces. But there was still a guy in Chicago by the name of Michael Jordan who's getting himself together for the next year to win the shot. And then for the Browns, we had just gotten over the drive, and then – the year after we end up dealing with the fumble. But in that time frame, oh yeah, baby Jessica went down the hole. <laughs> That's like, so it does a lot of stuff going on in 87. But in that time frame, you had three guys who were in high school. One was a sophomore and you could find a name of Robert Smith. And then you had two seniors. One was at St. Joe's by the name of Desmond Howard. 
And the third one, I think you got an idea who I'm talking about. And they took over the city. It was pretty much who can top this. Every week you saw radio, television, newspaper talking about them and their teams and how they just took over the city, took over the state. And their talents and their exploits was just became front page news. I mean, every week, every week. And then you have to think about what they did right out after at they left high school, what they did in college, which became front page news. Then after that, they go to the pros, all three of them. All three become front page news. And not only now, they're iconic. So, and I call it, and I'm still working on the title name, but it, it's pretty much like, I, at first I was going to call it uh, Three Card Monty. Somehow I'm going to incorporate some type of poker style or something like that, Three of a Kind. I don't, I don't know yet. I'm still working on it. But that year, you saw three guys just captivate a city, a state, a region, and they were front page news. I, I think it's a compelling story. A uh, very interesting story, and I'm. Uh, I wish you luck on that, and uh, I'm excited to uh, see that see that endeavor of yours come to fruition. And uh, I will definitely be in line to uh, get a copy of it to read because that is uh, that is an thank exciting you. story to uh, to be able to read about. Thank you, thank you. Anything else, Mel? That you wanna that you wanna mention here? Um. You know what? I everybody talks about your dad in such a glowing way, man. And as a coach, as a mentor, let me say one thing. Um, my years at Hawking, well, let me say the f- one and a half of my years were problematic. It wasn't my fault. Not too many people knew about it, and not too many people understood because um, I was going through a medical condition that nobody really knew about. Uh, you people used to talk about how I had a sleep, I would sleep here, sleep there, and it affected my grades and affected my athletic ability. What I didn't know and what people didn't know, even your father didn't know, it was, I had a sleep or sleep disorder because it was in your father's, I had sleep apnea, but never, ever, ever, ever did your father talk negative to me, put me down. He was always encouraging he wanted to see the excellence out of me. And yeah, there were rumblings I heard from people talking about he's lazy, he doesn't want to do this. I almost flunked out because of the sleep disorder the first year, but he helped me find help. And thank God for Dr. Joan Catano, who was able to diagnose that I had a sleep disorder. Because even though I, I joke about it with my mom before she passed away, she, my sleep disorder was so bad. She thought I was on drugs. It was so crazy. I mean, cause I, the sleep, the sleep deprivation that I went through was, was scary. It was scary. And I started to believe the narrative to a certain extent that I was lazy and people even got stereotypical talking about that's how some of those people are. You would know how we say some of those people, but, um, your dad was so encouraging and so much wanted. He said 
he used to tell me I have so much potential and he wants me to see my potential. He wanted to see my potential. And because I know there's times he would say he'd see me sleep and I, I couldn't help it that he see me in film and he saw me with he called what he called a kickstand. I have my head like this and I'm falling asleep and somebody kicked that kickstand out for mail and but he was never negative. He was never He always had my back. And even when I went through my trials and tribulations with my son, um, he was the first one to reach out to me. Look out for me and my son, because there was a time when my son had his kidney problems. We were in the hospital 77 straight days and about Nashville, Tennessee. Not only was he there for me, he made sure other people reached out to me. Your dad's a real one, man. And I think that's what hurts even more myself and OJ that see how real your dad is and he's not given the respect that he deserves. Thanks for sharing that, Mel. He uh, he loves you guys, man. And I don't know if I'm speaking out of term. Um, I don't know how many people would know the medical condition your dad went through and to see him not skip a beat. Your dad's a superhero, man. I don't care. He's an Avenger, and he's just not telling anybody about it, man. To do what he did and to have that health condition and, and not. He, he, is he wearing a Captain America suit and he ain't telling us about it, man, for real? I'm like, I just, uh, like I said, your dad's a real one, man. For real. Yeah. Nobody can say anything. If anybody says something bad about your dad, they can come see me. I, I may not be benching 400 pounds anymore, but they can come see me. I got something for them. Yeah. I know you will. Mel, this was a, this was a great uh, conversation and uh, it went, uh, it went everywhere that the 85, 86, 87 season went uh, just like it happened recently. Uh, Your recollection of all of the highlights, the feelings, the moments, uh, everything that went into it. Um, I appreciate you bringing those to uh, this trip down to the river um, your, your thoughts as an author and just being able to pick your brain for a couple minutes and hear what that whole process is like is, uh, is awesome to uh, be able to hear about. Um, you were an accomplished football player friend, and, uh, I appreciate you coming on this episode down to the river. No, thank you 3d man. Cause I'm telling you, it's, it's my pleasure, man. I mean, <laughs> well, it's a legacy, man. This is a legacy that should be held. And I appreciate you because you are trying to bring people a perspective of that legacy, man. And it's got to be upheld. It's got to be shown. It's got to be shown in a light that it's deserved. And you're doing that, man. You showing the people what it is about the Hawker tradition and wearing those wings and those zonks and. And the fudge and just, hey, 
claiming the field, man. Claim. <laughs> How many times did we go to a field and say, this is our field and we did it? This is our field. This is like they said Under Armour when they first said, this is our house. And we used to say that all the time and we did it. This is our house. This is our house. And we did it. Man, props to you and your dad, man, for real. For real, man. It's, uh, it's my pleasure, Mel. Appreciate you coming on today. All right. Thanks a lot, D. Take care. You too. Thanks for spending time with us today. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and spread the word. And until the next episode, like my dad always says, good night, Irene. <laughs>